to a certain extent, I think being a celebrity, you know, puts you in a fishbowl and you really got to um, keep your nose cleaner than the average citizen. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, my co-host Jay Craig Williams is in trial today and unable to join us. Craig, uh, of course, writes the blog, May It Please the Court, and uh, I write two blogs, uh, Media Law and Law Sites. As always, we would like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law. And Clio, the web-based practice management solution at goclio.com. Well, with Lindsay Lohan in and out of jail and rehab, Mel Gibson infamously leaving angry voicemails aimed at his girlfriend, and just this week, Charlie Sheen uh, allegedly causing all sorts of damage at the Plaza Hotel in New York City. The legal issues and private lives of celebrities have taken center stage. This month, Joy Bahar and Whoopi Goldberg caused a stir after they walked off The View, uh, set in protest of Bill O'Reilly's comments on Muslims and 911. More recently, NPR's firing of Juan Williams caused a national debate after he made comments about Muslims on O'Reilly's show on Fox. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to Take a look at uh, the the world of entertainment and more specifically, of course, of entertainment law, and uh, we'll look at some of the uh, some of the issues uh, that uh, that entertainment lawyers face and deal with on a regular basis. Some of the cases they're involved with, and some of the challenges of being in entertainment uh, law, working in the field of entertainment law. And to help us do that, we have. Uh, a uh, lawyer from Los Angeles who uh, concentrates in entertainment and new media law. Gordon Firemark uh, is a, represents uh, clients in the fields of independent film, theater, and new media. He's been doing that for some 18 years. He's the producer and host of his own podcast, the uh, monthly podcast, Entertainment Law Update, uh, and uh, in which he does a, a regular roundup of entertainment law news and cases with CLE credit available for California attorneys. Gordon teaches theater law at Southwestern Law School's online entertainment law LLM program. And he recently published the book, The Podcast, Blog, and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide, and he also has another book uh, in the works on on theater law. So I'd like to welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Gordon Firemark. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's it's a pleasure, uh, Gordon, and it, it's a particular pleasure because uh, you're one of those you're one of those people who I uh, have uh, you know uh, followed on Twitter and uh, seen some of your blog posts and listened to some of your podcasts, and, and so. Uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I kind of know you already. Likewise, likewise. Uh, <laughs> um, 
a lot of stuff we want to talk about today, but uh, why don't we just start by having you tell us a little bit about what you do. Tell us about your practice. Well, my practice is an interesting one. I'm, I'm uh, unlike many of the, the practitioners in entertainment law, I'm a bit of a generalist within the field of entertainment. That is, I do independent film and, and uh, you know, financing and production related stuff as well as distribution. And then I also work in the theater industry here in Los Angeles. Uh, there aren't a lot of lawyers that, that know and understand and, and operate in the theater business, even though we have a lot of theaters here in LA. Uh, a lot of them tend to be small and there just isn't um, uh, that much. Fortunately, there isn't that much competition for theater lawyers in Los Angeles. Um, and I do a little bit of music and, and, uh, and the new media stuff that, uh, uh, that, that I meant that you mentioned my book about. And, um, so I get to be a little bit of a generalist and that keeps it interesting for me. Many entertainment lawyers in the transactional side tend to specialize in one or, or, or two of those sub areas. You know, there are lawyers who do almost nothing but, you know, film finance projects or nothing but distribution uh, deals and financing in that area. Uh, or there are music lawyers who specialize in record deals or, or music publishing arrangements. And, um, so, you know, uh, maybe I'm a, a, a jack of all trades and, and a master of, well, one <laughs> or something, but, uh, anyway, so that's what I do. I, I'm a, I'm on the transactional side. I do deals in those areas and, um, um, I, uh, stay away from litigation whenever I can. So that's my practice. <laughs> that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting to me looking at your, your biography because, uh, you have, uh, some background in theater and, and you continue to work in theater as I see it, uh, if I understand this right, uh, outside of your law practice. I mean, what, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I started as a, um, uh, Actually, I, I, I blame a, a junior high school principal for uh, seeing a, a potentially, uh, you know, kid who was potentially in a lot of trouble <laughs> from too much time on his hands or whatever. And he uh, got me involved in, in uh, you know, the school variety show, doing the lights and sound and things like that. And so I, I uh, really jumped into that and, and uh, did that you know, all through high school and, and began working professionally in the theater business as a sound technician uh, when I was 16. And, uh, so I've sort of stuck with it. I, you know, in college I was a theater major briefly and ended up in the radio, television and film, uh, end of things, but I've always sort of kept my hand in with theater and, uh, um, I'm still working at the theater that I started at when I was 16. I, uh, I fill in on weekends and nights uh, from time to time and, uh, yeah, it, it keeps me real, I guess you could say. And I, I, I'm not sure if this is current. I'm looking on your website. It says that you're the CEO of Fierce Theatricals, producing small cast musicals, cabaret shows, and regional tours. Is that something you're still doing? I still am. Yes. Um, that is uh, uh, another side business, one of my many jobs. My wife blames me for uh, <laughs> working too hard <laughs> at Um uh, yeah, we produce, uh, you know, very small shows, cabaret style, you know, three and four and six performer kinds of shows um, for the market of of small theaters that need, you know, have a subscription series and they need to provide content for their uh, for their regular patrons. And uh, so we put a show together and then we'll, we'll sort of send it out on the road a little bit here and there or, or we'll, you know, we'll mount a, a show sort of producers for hire in a sense. Um, someone needs a show and we'll sort of pull something together for that. So. Yeah, I, I'm guilty of that having too many jobs uh, uh, accusation as well. I, I I call it diversification. I like to think of it that way. I think I would go insane if I didn't have different <laughs> things to do. You know, right? This and there's a certain amount of security to it all. I mean, heck, if the law thing doesn't work out, you've got the theater thing to fall back on. You know? Yeah, that's a big hedge. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the other way around. Right. <laughs> um, 
again, I, I want to get into to some of these sort of issues of, of, of entertainment law and whatever, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I know you did just do this book. And since your book is about podcast law and since this is a podcast, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell me a little bit more about your book. Well, the book is is uh, designed for the folks that are, you know, boots on the ground doing podcasting, blogging and creating, you know, YouTube videos and those kinds of things and and who are more and more sort of starting to bump into the law here and there. And, um, you know, in recognition of the fact that a lot of these folks are working with, you know, it's a hobby. It's no there's no budget for legal services and, and uh, you know, corporate management kinds of things and insurance. Uh, I, I, I spotted this need that, you know, they need somewhere to go for a, a, a consolidated guide to the issues that they might face and how to, how to approach them. And so it, it's actually an ebook. It's not a hard copy thing that you, you know, tangible right. thing, but, right. um, right. PDF. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's available in PDF and it, it will soon be available, uh, in EPUB format and Kindle format so that uh, folks with those devices can, can get it on there as well. You know, and the idea is to, to provide some basic knowledge about copyright law, about trademark law, about rights of privacy and publicity and, you know, releases. If you're doing podcasting and you've got people's voices that you're, you know, using, uh, you've got issues that you want to make sure you, you have the right to continue using that voice for, at least for your, you know, podcast purposes, uh, uh, on an ongoing basis. And, uh, in my practice, I've started to see some, some issues where, uh, someone does an interview for a podcast and then has mixed feelings about it afterwards and says, well, you know what, can you not use that? And, you know, well, what do we spend all this time and energy for? So, you know, getting those releases and the paperwork in place to, uh, uh, to make sure that, um, the investment of time and energy is, is, uh, uh, is safe, I guess you could say. And, um, and also some journalism principles in there about reporting and defamation and, and uh, you know, invading people's privacy to get the story, those kinds of things. So I, I, I felt a need to to share, you know, some basic information and, and uh, help help these folks at least spot the issues and, and deal with them on the most of the time basis. And when they need lawyers, hopefully they'll they'll come to those of us that understand this stuff. What do you what what's what's the most common misunderstanding about intellectual property that you see among some of these social media content creators, whether they're bloggers or, or podcasters, uh, what kinds of issues do you see in your practice that deal with IP and social media? Well, the one that, that I get the most often is the, but I'm not doing it for profit (laughs) argument, uh, as a defense to copyright infringement, you know, um, uh, creators need to understand that that um, the profit motivation is only a very small component in the analysis of whether there's a copyright infringement, whether there's a fair use. And everybody seems to know the phrase fair use and and very few seem to understand what it really is and how it works and and the the you know the principles underlying it. And so <laughs> they, that's they kind of look at it as if it's fair to me, it must be fair use, right? Well, it's only fair that I should be able to use <laughs> right. this entire movie and do a criticism, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah, they or I'm not making money from it, so it's fair use. Well, it's certainly much more complicated than that. Right. Um, the other one that comes up a lot is, uh, for some reason, web designers are selling web pages to, to, you know, unsuspecting customers and professionals, lawyers and doctors and, and real estate agents and folks like that are buying, you know, here, go do a website for me. And what they get is a website that's gorgeous and it's got all kinds of graphics and stuff. And well, the web designer never bothered to license the, uh, the images from the stock photo house. And so... Uh-huh. 
just this week, I've actually seen a couple of different uh, demand letters from <laughs> from stock photo houses saying, hey, you've got to pay us, you know, uh, a sizable sum for this website you've had up for two years. And, um, and then you go looking to the web designer who is, of course, not in a position to really indemnify him. Yeah. Trouble there. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that you, uh, as you say, you're, you're, you're a transactional lawyer. You don't, you don't do litigation. Um, do you, do you work with, with individuals, uh, in the entertainment field at all, or do you tend to work more with companies? I do represent some, we, we call it, you know, representing talent, essentially. Many of my clients are individual, you know, writer, director, uh, folks and a handful of actors in my, in my stable, but uh, many, many of them are also independent producers though. individuals, but operating as companies in many, many instances. When you, when you look at some of the, uh, I don't know if you want to call them antics or, or what that have been in the news uh, <laughs> shenanigans. lately, <laughs> shenanigans, antics, all sorts of things. I mean, uh, you know what? As as a lawyer who, who represents individuals in in this industry, what mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about? You know, I'm not even quite sure how to ask it. How 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 well <laughs> some of these celebrities are handling these situations, uh, and and uh, how they how they should be doing it, how they might be doing it differently. You know, I mean, let's talk about the Charlie Sheen thing this week. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, there was a, a lot of rumors swirling around. And I'm, I'm not sure anybody has, has yet uh, come up with a definitive answer of what happened in, in that New York hotel room. But uh, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have any thoughts on how that whole thing came down and how it was handled? Well, you know, first of all, I think there are, you know, the, the, the celebrities who are handling their personal lives well we never hear about their personal lives or you know we hear that they got married or something you know sort of uh, the upbeat stuff the the situations with the lindsay lohans and the paris hiltons and the charlie sheens and randy quaid was arrested this week you know in canada i mean these these are folks that are that are struggling with i think larger struggles than this is more than just a, a a typical everyday person's struggle and the fact that they're in the spotlight all the time means that when the police are called to the plaza hotel and we know that you know the top floors of the plaza hotel are occupied by these kinds of folks well that gets everybody's interest and then the the journalists start digging and the i should say reporters i'm not <laughs> anyway they start digging and and, and the stuff comes out. And so to a certain extent, I think being a celebrity, you, you know, puts you in a fishbowl and you really got to, um, keep your nose cleaner than the average citizen. And so right. when they aren't able to keep it clean, when something happens, the, this, it becomes a big scandal and, um, you know, trashing a, a room at the Plaza hotel is, is a big deal for anybody and probably would get some, some press. But, um, uh, you know, Charlie Sheen has had a lot of, uh, a lot of visibility um, in the media. Not well, he's the highest paid person on television, you know, highest paid actor right. on television. So, yeah. so he he's got our attention, and he's had some problems in his life recently. And uh, yeah, but but as you, you know, say, there are a lot of major celebrities out there who who uh, for whom you hear, you hear nothing about their personal right. lives. I, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, you know Matt Damon has been kind of famous for for making it clear that uh, you know he lives a pretty uh, a, a pretty. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, white bread uh, personal life, uh, and yeah. and that's why you're not reading about him in in the celebrity mm-hmm. rags all the time. Um, sure, yeah, yeah, uh, and, you know, and the ones that are out there, you know, for there, there's a there's this old saying that there's no such thing as bad publicity, and I'm not sure I agree with that, but 
you know, when there are some folks out there who, you know, many of them seek out the fame of, of being a celebrity, the, the fame itself has to keep being fed or else they feel like they're not successful anymore. You know, their, their self-esteem sort of depends on their seeing their picture on, on television. And maybe for some of them, even if it's a a negative portrayal or, or a, a story about how they, you know, got arrested for drunk driving or, or, uh, you know, were uh, trash talking <laughs> on the phone to their ex-girlfriend, you know, maybe to a certain extent that stuff, um, feeds their ego in a peculiar way. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just, uh, speculating on that front. Yeah. Do, do studios, do or producers, uh, uh, do anything to try and rein in or, or at least, uh, prevent this kind of thing from happening, uh, in terms of the contracts they enter into with television stars and movie stars? Well, you know, in, in the in the old days, back in the uh, 40s and 50s, before the, the big consent decree that sort of broke up the studio system where they had actors under contract for one studio, those contracts had morals clauses in them. And, um, and if you violated the morals clause, you got fired, basically. Now, some contracts nowadays were the fatty seen, arbuckle clause. Wasn't that the fatty yeah, arbuckle clause? <laughs> that was a very extreme example. Yeah, he was accused yeah. <laughs> of uh, uh, of uh, pedophilia and rape, right, and right, um, right. Um, and you know his career ended as a result right, of that. And, right, and yeah. uh, we don't see careers ending over the <laughs> scandalous stuff in the media anymore. So maybe the the adage about no no bad publicity is somewhat true. But um, nowadays we don't see. Uh, morals clauses making their way into employment contracts as a matter of course. Um, but where an actor has presented problems, um, we will sometimes see those kinds of clauses. And in, in some instances, the employment of a, of a performer will be conditioned on their insurability so that the producer who might be out, you know, let's say we're going on location to shoot a film for eight weeks um, and we need this actor to be, you know, in fighting shape for those eight weeks. If that person, um, you know, falls off the wagon or gets himself into trouble and gets arrested and is unavailable, that costs millions and millions of dollars. And so, um, the, the, the producer will want to be able to get some kind of insurance to cover that eventuality. Well, if an insurer is not willing to write the policy, then maybe we hire someone else to be the, to, to play the lead in that, in that film. Um, I don't think that, you know, there's a level of actor that are even above that. I guess I would say that they're, they're so in demand that the producers are sort of willing to take these risks. And, um, Charlie Sheen isn't going to get fired from two and a half men because he trashed a hotel room in, in New York. More likely that will find somehow find its way into a script that, you know, there's this bad behavior kind of thing going on. Yeah. But, um, although you you have to wonder whether some of these celebrities sometimes just start to think uh, that they live in a different world uh, somehow, that, that they're sort of above the rules that apply to other people. And I know that's a, a horrible overgeneralization, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of the famous uh, television clip of Lindsay Loham as, as the judge was senting, sentencing her to, 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 to go back to jail, I think it was, mm-hmm. or to go to jail the first time. Uh, and, and she's just kind of sitting there looking at her counsel like, are you crazy? Me? Uh, you know, it was the expression on her face. She didn't say that, yeah. but uh, she was genuinely it, surprised that she was going to get locked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, well, I think some of that is that because they've come in, come of age. I mean, Lindsay is a, is a good example because she was a child actress. So she sort of came of age in this, this bubble of the entertainment industry where 
you know, everybody tells you how great you are all the time and, and nobody's really willing to say no about something and, and they're paying you gobs of money. And so you want a new car, you go buy a new car, you want a new apartment, you get a new apartment, you know, and, uh, or house and, and nobody says no. And, and then all of a sudden you come, you know, crashing up against, uh, uh, the real society that has the you know <laughs> legal restrictions on what people are allowed to do. And it, it comes as a big shock to them. Um, but I think it's just a, a sense of entitlement that comes from the way, um, the way society, but in particular, our industry treats celebrities. All right. Let me, just, and let me just ask real quick uh, while we're yeah. on this topic, I, do you have any thoughts on, on the way that NPR handled the whole Juan Williams affair? Um, you know, I, I'm not all that familiar with the story. I understand that he went on, on uh, a television program and was, uh, talking about his, his, his feelings of concern and fear when he's on a plane with someone who appears to be, uh, uh of Muslim, uh, uh, background. And, you know, pe- people, even celebrities, even on air personalities are entitled to their opinions, I think, and, and, uh, probably shouldn't be fired for it, but he's in a, in a, a unique position. Well, I don't know if you'd say unique position, but he works for an, an outfit where he's a journalist and he's in an organization that actually prides itself on a very high level of journalistic integrity. And journalists are uh, theoretically, at least, um, at least at NPR are not supposed to have a point of view. They're supposed to be neutral. And so now he has, by expressing this, he's tainted himself with his point of view. And that presents a problem for, uh, for the employer. Should they have let him go? Maybe they should have reprimanded him and made a big public thing and sent him out to do apologies and an educational tour. You know, there are different ways that companies can handle it. And, and, um, I don't really think I want to second guess NPR's decision-making. Maybe there's more backstory that we're not hearing. Um, does he have you know the basis for a wrongful termination claim if he if he was merely expressing his his point of view you know he has a first amendment right of free hey he as a journalist knows he's got a first amendment right and um interesting that his employers um which is partly government funded um you know are uh, are uh, treating him so you know in such a draconian fashion um so i'm not yeah. exactly sure where i come down on that All right, uh, Gordon, stay with us. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software. 
and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Engage your brain. Keep up with the fast pace of the legal profession. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all of our great legal podcasts. They're free. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Jay Craig Williams, my co-host, is away this week. I'm speaking with Gordon Firemark, entertainment and new media lawyer from Los Angeles. Uh, Gordon, you know, when, when just when you say that, entertainment lawyer in Los Angeles, it sounds so glamorous. Uh, uh, is this a field uh, uh, that there's a future in for, for, for many people? I mean, if somebody wanted to get into this, uh, is it a field that you would recommend they get into? And how would they go about getting into it? And I'm talking well, you know, about be- younger lawyers, law school students. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it is a, it's an extraordinarily competitive field. Um, and you know, it, it, yeah, it's a sexy sounding practice area. I'll tell you, it isn't nearly as sexy as it sounds, you know, I, <laughs> None of them uh, ever I, are. We know that. Right. Right. I, you know, I sit at a desk slogging through contracts and drafting things and responding to, you know, emails and, you know, the personalities of, of the clients and, and the personality of the business itself is unique and fun and interesting, but really it's just practicing transactional law. I mean, to a certain extent, raising the financing for a feature film and raising the financing, uh, for a commercial real estate project are not that different. And, um, uh, if you have the stomach for (laughs) dealing with the clients and the shenanigans and those kinds of things and being an entertainment lawyer, you're, you're sort of on call all the time to, to deal with, uh, you know, sort of, yeah, peculiar situations and, and, um, uh, clients will often want to reach in the middle of the night or, or, uh, you know, on the weekend and things when you're not really expecting to be quote working. And uh, all of a sudden you find yourself digging into something on Sunday evening at 11 o'clock, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so how do you break into it? Um, yeah, as I said, it's very competitive. The, and, and the industry is consolidating. So there are fewer jobs in house in, in the corporations, you know, the movie studios are consolidating and, and, um, streamlining their operations. And that means they're, uh, they're letting lawyers go and they're not hiring lawyers at the, at the moment. Uh, and in the, and in the legal, you know, law firm world, um, I think the big firms also were seeing a lot of, uh, mergers and consolidations and things. And so it's really tough. I know a lot of, uh, uh lawyers who have started out in big firms are now going solo, um, sort of because there isn't any other option for them. Um, 
I think for solos, there are some opportunities, but you've got to have the, the experience and, and the credibility to make it as a solo in this area. I'm a solo and a lot of my friends are, and, uh, there are so many folks in this industry who really want the personalized attention of knowing that when they call the law firm, they're going to speak to their lawyer, the lawyer, and not, uh, not a, you know, a junior lawyer in the firm who, who will report up the chain or something like that. So, um, and, and you so, worked your way up. I mean, you worked at a couple of studios, if I if I understand right, and you worked at a couple of firms, and then went out on your own. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, it was, and, and frankly, all that experience was gathered in a very short time. I actually worked in in at MGM and at United Artists. Uh, I'm sorry, MGM UA and at Hanna Barbera uh, while I was still in law school, and then after law school, I worked for a litigation firm briefly, and uh, and then I I. Um, was I, I didn't intend to go solo. I intended to go find another job and I uh, left, left that firm and, and, um, one thing led to another. And six months later I had opened an office. <laughs> so, um, and I've had partnerships along the way and, and, uh, back, back to being solo for a while now. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been a little bit of a rough slog coming so quickly out of law school and becoming a solo was, was a, a challenge for me. And here, you know, 18 years later, I can say I've got a very nice, comfortable practice. Um, um, but it wasn't always easy, you know? Yeah. We, what are some of the other issues that you've been dealing with lately? Well, I, you know, I advise clients a lot on, on defamation and rights of privacy and rights of publicity. That stuff comes up a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's no, no real magic or sexiness to it. Um, clients that are putting out, you know, reality TV shows or, or documentary type films, those kinds of things. That's where these issues come up. Uh, the other big issue that comes up a lot is um, uh, clients that are unhappy with their manager or agent and trying to either get out of their contract with that person or have already gotten, you know, breached the contract or, or terminated the contract. And so they're dealing with, um, you know, um, do they owe that person money on projects that were in existence before they terminated? Those kinds of issues come up quite a lot. And, um, I say I don't do litigation, but I do a lot of what I would sort of call pre litigation or heading off litigation in uh, dealing with disputes and working out settlements and things like that, uh, uh, in those kinds of cases. And I suppose another, I don't know how common this is, but another aspect of that is, uh, the case that Dane Cook has been involved in lately in which, uh, it turned out, I don't know where this stands in, in, in terms of litigation or, or criminal charges, but there were at least allegations going around that I think it was his brother, uh, cousin, <laughs> a relative who had been acting as his manager had been mm. uh, um, embezzling uh, funds uh, as well. I mean, it, again, it's criminal a criminal issue uh, if, if true, but uh, it leads to the kind of a relationship dissolution that you're talking about. Yeah, and it is that is a strikingly common uh, uh, fact scenario, I guess you could say we see it a lot. I mean, it happened, Billy Joel, uh, it wasn't a family member in that case. Actually it was, it was, uh, his law firm. He, he had some accusations. This is about, must be 10 years ago now, uh, against his law firm. And then, so as lawyers, we, these are challenges for us too, is, you know, you got <laughs> when you're representing a client and you're handling, um, money through trust accounts and things like that, the, you know, being careful and, and, um, and uh, transparent is, is hugely important, but yeah, where, where it's a family member and there are a lot of family members managing their, their sibling or cousin or, or child I and mean, child performers, is a, you know, there's one sad story after another to be told every, every generation of child performers, we see kids whose parents squandered their, their money and they, they reach adulthood and they're no longer attractive, you know, as a 
as a performer for kids shows and they're not yet really grown into adult roles and they got no money and no, nothing but acting skills. Um, so, um, you know, here in California, we have uh, a law named for Jackie Coogan, the Coogan law that's, you know, in place to protect against those kinds of things. And it does an okay job. Um, but you know, <laughs> no, no legal structure is perfect. Really. It comes down to, um, very trusting personalities. Generally these folks, you know, like I said, they're, they're always being told how great they are. Um, and so they tend to trust the people who are telling them that. And those are the people who are also handling their money, handling their affairs and, uh, um, you know, in a, in a good position to take advantage of them. Well, uh, one of the, uh, another story in the news, of course, this week was the, uh, uh, injunction, uh, against, uh, LimeWire, the, I think the last of the, of the peer to peer, uh, music sharing sites. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on the future of the mu- music industry and, and, uh, and, and where this is all going to go and how it's going to shake out? Well, you know, I think the music industry, um, failed to see the threat from, you know, file sharing and digital technology early enough in the game to really address it properly when they should have. And so everything they've been able to do has been, um, you know, band-aid kind of an approach. And I think this LimeWire, putting LimeWire out of business is a band-aid because something else will pop up. So, you know, and, and technology is moving faster than the law can possibly keep up. So, um, you know, I think the music industry I think they'll find a way. I think this is the, this whole shakeup and it's a, a little bit of a bubble bursting. It was an industry that was uh, very, very successful and profitable for a very long time, uh, largely by selling bundled goods where you want one great song and you bought the other nine on the album because you had to. And, um, uh, you know, the file sharing made it pretty darn clear that people want the one song. They don't want the whole album. And iTunes now is allowing, you know, and Amazon and the other online retailers are allowing, uh, in individual sales. And, and that's, you know, good for customers in the long run. So I think it's going to force the, the business to be more efficient. And, um, uh, but I don't think legal solutions are, are, or technological solutions are really the answer. I think it's a business model solution that needs to happen. Yeah. And uh, I, maybe I thought it was interesting. I I know you were telling me before we before we started recording that uh, you don't get to see too many movies as a parent of a couple of young children. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the Social Network. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that, but one of the That's characters the most in that movie is, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. The, the founder of Napster is is of course a character in that movie, and and he yeah. makes a comment uh, at some point in the movie. Uh, that Napster changed the music industry and, and the response from somebody was, uh, you know, something along the lines of what, but you got shut down. And he said, yeah, but look at what happened to the music industry <laughs> after I started Napster, which was a yeah. good point. I think it really did change the music industry. Uh, not the way he necessarily intended, but, uh, but it brought about phenomenal, amazing change. Yeah, and sure. LimeWire has done that as well. Uh, unfortunately, we are almost at the end of our half hour. Well, I think we're actually a little over our half hour here, but uh, I wanted to give you a chance to offer uh, any concluding thoughts you'd like on entertainment law or or the practice of entertainment law, and also uh, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, get your podcast and your book. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't have any real, you know, uh, brilliant parting shots of wisdom, but, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> thank you for having me on. I, I, I really enjoy talking about what I do as much as I enjoy doing it. And entertainment law, as I indicated, is fun because it's sort of a multidisciplinary practice area. We, we get to look at a lot of different aspects of, of, uh, 
uh, of, of legal thinking jurisprudence. And, uh, and so that's exciting and fun. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to plug my book, which is called the, um, podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide. It's available at podcastlawbook.com uh, as a, uh, a digital, uh, purchase and download. And uh, my podcast, as I mentioned, as you mentioned, is Entertainment Law Update, and it's available at entertainmentlawupdate.com and on iTunes. And um, CLE credit is available for California lawyers. So uh, I hope you folks, uh, your listeners will will become listeners of my show as well. And uh, um, I also just want to mention I have a co-host on that show. Her name is Tamara Bennett from uh, the Dallas, oh, sure. Texas area. And uh, uh, and she and I get together once a month and, and, um, shoot the breeze about legal issues and, and cases and, and, uh, the stuff that's been coming up that month. So it's a lot of fun. Well, Gordon, it was a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you finally after, after following you, uh, on social media for so long and seeing you on social media for so long. I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank and, you. Uh, Likewise, a pleasure and an honor to be here. And, uh, like to uh, like to remind our listeners that, of course, this show and uh, all of our shows are archived at thelegaltalknetwork.com and on iTunes. And uh, and like Gordon's show, you can get podcasts, you can get uh, CLE credit for listening to our podcast uh, by going to Legal Talk Network and clicking on the link for the West Legal Ed Center. Uh, thanks, as always, to our producer, Kate Kenny, and our engineer, Mike Hockman for all the work they do on this show and the Legal Talk Network for sponsoring this show. That does it for this week's program. We will be back next week with another great episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. See you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.